0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The Prime Minister has made reopening schools a priority of his response to coronavirus. Part of his argument is that school closures are leaving the most disadvantaged students behind.
1: Those kids who, you know, like... Some others uh, don't have the same opportunities at home to be able to learn at home, who, who could lose a whole year of their education.
2: And it is the children, ultimately, in the end, and those, you know, most disadvantaged, who are suffering. And I think it's time...
0: The federal government says schools are safe to reopen, but not all states agree.
2: The question to Dan Andrews is sure take a sledgehammer to defeating the coronavirus but why are you taking a sledgehammer also to your school system the national
0: today jane caro on how the political debate over coronavirus is reframing the inequality in education funding jane This is a story about schooling and COVID-19, but it's also a story about disadvantage in schools. Can you take me back to where it begins?
2: The history of Australian schools funding goes right back to the 1970s, and I'm afraid Gough Whitlam, who brought in recurrent funding to private schools. Australia funds, publicly funds private schools more than any other country on the planet there's daylight between us and any other country and we're one of the lower funders of public schools with public money. We don't fund education in Australia for educational reasons. We
0: fund it for political and class-based reasons and religious too, I'd have to say. Jane Carrow is an author and public education activist. She wrote about schools for the Saturday paper.
2: John Howard introduced a funding scheme, which was called the SES funding scheme, socioeconomic status funding scheme. And that basically looked at the addresses more than anything else of where kids in private schools lived. And so if you were a boarding school with lots of kids coming from places like cotton farmers, kids from Moree, you got heaps and heaps of money because your kids were being judged as if they were the poorest kids in Moree rather than the richest kids in Moree, which, meant, which was quite extraordinary. Um, it was a completely corrupted idea and I always described it as being like a hunger relief program for the well fed. That scheme was fought very hard by activists, by the unions, by teachers, by all sorts of people because it was so grossly unfair.
0: OK, so that was John Howard's scheme, the SES. Labor then came in with a policy of reform, which was Gonski. Jane, I know that people have been trying to explain what happened with Gonski for the last decade, but can you just give me the stripped-back version of what Gonski was trying to achieve?
2: Well, Gonski was a pretty sensible approach, um, It was a needs-based sector-blind scheme, and that's what it's set out to be. It set out to look at the needs of students in reality. They set up a minimum resource standard, which was a benchmark at which all schools needed to be funded so they could do their job properly, not to excess, but just so that they had adequate funds for the job they were being asked to do. And also it had loadings for designated disadvantage. So if you had a lot of kids who are actually really disadvantaged, rural, remote, Indigenous, low SES, with a disability, or um, from a non english speaking background, there were a whole lot of definitions of what constituted educational disadvantage, then you would get loadings for that because it would be recognised that you were doing a tougher job, that you had kids who needed more money spent on them to bring them up to the standard. We no longer recognise that.
0: What do you mean by that? We no longer recognise needs-based funding? Well, what Malcolm Turnbull's government did was
2: they basically took the rhetoric of Gonski. It was, it was very clever. It was um, sophisticated, clever stuff. They took the rhetoric of needs-based and sector-blind and what they did was they legislated an 80-20 split. But as the funding is divided entirely on sector, call me a crazy old-fashioned woman who thinks the English language actually means something... It's clearly gone back to being a sector-based, needs-blind scheme.
0: Right. And is anything different under the current government, under the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison? Since Scott Morrison's
2: election last year, well, he hasn't changed anything in legislation. But uh, during his almost 12 months in power, he has basically gifted over that time, it's estimated by the Teachers' Union, about $5 billion extra to private schools exclusively.
1: Our government believes that parents should have choice in education. This has been a fundamental belief.
2: Some of that has been drought relief. Some of it has been about the fires. Somehow public schools and public school communities are uniquely immune from feeling
1: any of those effects. From 2020, the Commonwealth will transition to a new method of calculating how non-state schools are funded, and that will make the education system fairer and more equitable
2: but it is added up to about $5 billion on top of their already outrageously generous public funding.
1: To support schools during the transition, the Commonwealth Government will provide, over the medium term, $3.2 billion to support students, parents and teachers of non-state schools.
2: We now have a situation where virtually all private schools are funded above the minimum school resource standard, and it is not expected that any public school will meet the minimum resource standard in any time in the foreseeable future. And quite frankly, our national leaders turning their faces away from the neediest kids in this country and for them to turn it back when it suits them is... um, Really, as you can hear from my voice, I, I find it gobsmackingly appalling and hypocritical in the extreme.
0: We'll be back in a moment.
1: Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes.
0: Jane, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has directly addressed parents and students calling for face-to-face schooling to resume... What kind of approach has he taken to try and convince the public that schools should reopen for all students? He has decided he wants all schools to go back,
2: using the line that disadvantaged students are being uh, left behind by the lack of online access, you know, lack of ability to be taught face-to-face, That is more damaging to them than it is to other groups of more
1: advantaged students. It's a choice that they may have, some more than others. But we know for some families and students this won't be possible. The way that Scott Morrison approached this was to try and guilt public schools
2: into returning by finger-wagging them.
1: And their education, what they learn, is at great risk of suffering this year. This will particularly be the case for families who are disadvantaged and on lower incomes.
2: About how, by not being in the classrooms, they were letting the disadvantaged children down.
1: It's so important that children are able to keep physically going to school, particularly for these kids.
2: How dare he? How dare he say such a thing? This man who was given $5 billion to fee-charging schools and not an extra cent to the public schools that are dealing with the poorest kids, the kids who are furthest behind the eight ball. How dare he talk about
1: their disadvantage? It is even more essential for those vulnerable students who we know won't get an education at home. It's a sad reality that we know it's true and we need to face it.
2: He has tried to blame and shame and guilt them, which I think is outrageous. But what has he done for the private schools? He has offered to give them 25% of next year's funding early, approximately $3.25 billion. Scott Morrison and uh, Dan Tehan have shown about the same level of interest in disadvantaged children up to a week or so ago as their previous colleagues have, which is precisely none, none at all, no interest in disadvantaged students until
0: suddenly it became convenient for them. Okay, so those are the tactics that the government's employing here. But what is the bigger picture? Why does the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, want schools to fully reopen?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's economic, isn't it? They know that if they get schools back, then employers will start to put pressure on workers to go back. And they're hoping that they can uh, sidestep a uh, terrible economic cataclysm, really. And I do understand that that's a terrible thing and that, yeah, if we could avoid it, it's a good idea. I think it is an economic uh, problem that they're trying to solve using schools. And this happens all the time. (laughs) It'd be nice if one day we tried to solve an education problem using schools, but I've yet to see it happen. And um, the other difficulty I think with it is that they're not being honest about it. I think had Scott Morrison come out and said, look, we've got this big recession staring us in the face, we need to do something about it, there might have been more sympathy. Instead, he cried crocodile tears over disadvantaged kids. And and also, I think, to be honest, there's a political motivation as well. And I think schools are sick and tired of being used uh, for economic and political purposes rather than for what they're
0: intended, which is to educate the next generation. Jane, do you think that this stoush over the reopening of schools under the threat of COVID-19 has revealed anything to us about our education system. I'm asking, I suppose, if there are any lessons that you're hoping can be learned from this situation. I'm hoping this is revealing to people that know the problems have not been fixed
2: and in many ways have been exacerbated. And if that happens, then focusing in the way that he did, that Scott Morrison did on schools, has been a bit of an own goal. And uh, that's a good thing. We need more attention to be paid because the kids who aren't getting what they need to be able to catch up with their peers, this is something that will dog them for the whole of their lives. And they are the kids that then become problems for us all in terms of not being able to be properly employed, not having the opportunities that they would otherwise have. And we're wasting their potential, their talent, their abilities. And, you know, we really can't afford to, to waste that. We're, we're ruled at the moment and have been for some time by a, a clack of private school boys who, not only did they all know each other, their fathers all knew each other. You know, it's, it's this awful privileged class that we've developed. And it's, have a look at Australia. It's not doing us any good. <laughs> We're not where we should be after 28 years of uninterrupted growth, we really aren't. We don't have a society that we ought to have after that level of prosperity. Certainly, if we've got kids who are getting left behind, who aren't getting the minimum resources against their education that are needed for their teachers to do an adequate job, then what was the point of all that prosperity?
0: Jane, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth. With the Australian Chamber
0: Orchestra, Richard Tonietti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Paul Kelly, has called on businesses and workers to adopt better sick leave processes to protect the health of the community. Kelly said that the most recent outbreaks of COVID-19 in Australia related to workers coming into work when they were sick. His comments were made just days before the National Cabinet is set to review Australia's economic and social restrictions. The US President Donald Trump has announced his winding down the task force leading the country's coronavirus response, despite evidence that the pandemic is still raging. More than 71,000 Americans have died from COVID-19 and more than 1.2 million have been diagnosed with the disease. President Trump said, quote, Our country is now in the next stage of the battle against the virus and now we are reopening our country. And New South Wales Transport Minister Andrew Constance has abandoned his bid to enter the federal parliament less than a day after his by-election campaign began, the by-election was sparked by the resignation of Labor's Mike Kelly. Constance was seen as a strong candidate after he rose to prominence during the bushfire crisis. In a statement on Wednesday, Mr Constance said, I appreciate people will be confused by my actions over the past couple of days, and for that, I am sorry. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.